Welcome to the Psych Experience. Hello everyone, welcome back to Psych Experience, the podcast for those who love psychology and psychiatry. Today with Dr. Nadi to talk about insomnia. Oh yes, it's a lot of work. Is it a lot of work? Oh yeah. Uh, sleeping or uh, the topic? <laughs> oh well, both. Both, right? <laughs> Uh, could we start with a definition? Yes, uh, let me get the, the DSM here so we can start. It's S- hidden, right? The, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's hidden. It's hidden. Uh, okay, so under sleep-wake disorders, first criteria is uh, predominant complaint or dissatisfaction with sleep quantity or quality associated with one or more of the following. Difficulty in initiating, s- initiating sleep, Difficulty maintaining sleep, characterized by frequent awakenings or problems returning to sleep after awakening. Early morning awakenings when inability, with inability to return to sleep. And then um, there's some numbers, like at least three nights per week for at least three months. And occurs despite adequate opportunity to sleep, meaning like you're not like three jobs kind of deal. Um, um, and then there's the, the rule outs, you know, not due to other sleep-wake disorder, no drugs, no other mental conditions, like, you know, antidepressants and something. Mm-hmm. I noticed something. What is it? Uh, so can, can you repeat the first criteria? So predominant complaint or dissatisfaction with sleep quantity or quality. So it's 120% subjective, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As measurable, it, so as measurable as sleep is, the criteria sticks to our, you know, usual patterns in psychiatry of subjectivity. But, but, then, but then again, what else do we have in psychiatry? Meaning, you know, we, we cannot observe it. We cannot go sort of the patient's house and watch him sleep in the most creepy way. Um, so we really only have the report of the sleep unless, of course, we send a patient to a sleep study. But yeah, the absolute subjectivity of it brings up a lot of questions. Right. So it's not just like feeling, quote-unquote, uh, that you're not sleeping enough, right? Unfortunately, it is. So the thing, so the <laughs> thing is that... Okay, so for example, there's this one study comparing the reports of, of patients that are taking a given sleeping agent, right? With the results of the polysonography. Now, this is, this is going to blow your mind. The results per the polysonography... Basically, they measure the patient's sleep and then they have another group or the same group taking the medication later or something like that. But, but basically, the, the, the results of the polysonography, because polysonography is going to measure how long you took to put between putting the head in the pillow and falling asleep, which we call sleep latency. And, mm-hmm. and it's going to measure how many times you, you, you're going to, like uh, how many awakenings, how long you were awake, and you know the, all, the, all those things, your breathing and stuff. So um, the results in that study of the polysonography were not very impressed. They're, they're, they're not very impressive at all. Like, right. But the patients reported like, oh my God, I had a solid sleep. Like, per patient report, the sleep was better, but the, abs- the, the objective measures of the sleep quality didn't, didn't agree with it. Right. So um, it seems that one of the impact that medication has on insomnia is to impair your cognition enough so you don't remember the next day that you had awakenings well that's crazy yep trust me and i and i i try not to see the holes in this whole thing but brother okay so let's say you have a patient who can't fall asleep can't stay asleep or both um what's what's next 
Okay, so the temptation is to start throwing meds, but we could look into a few things before to make sure that we're not drugging people without need. So the first one is that, um, that as the diagnostic criteria suggests, you know, rule out other disorders that could account for it. So major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, they all have impaired sleep as a symptom. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, it would be a fair assumption that if someone can't sleep because of being down or anxious, by addressing those syndromes, that package, even with a medication that is not necessarily sedating, mm -hmm. we have a shot at making a dent in the sleep quality. Does it happen frequently? Like if the sleep follows the improvement of those symptoms? Yep. I have no numbers. Just my impression. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of a half and half. And, and, and also I suspect it's because sleep is this complex thing that gets affected as a function of way too many variables. Does that make sense? What other variables are you referring to? So, okay, so along with, you know, keeping up with the thing, ruling out other psychiatric syndromes, there's what we call sleep hygiene, which is this umbrella term for all kinds of stuff that mess up with your sleep. Right? Mm -hmm. So it would include ruling out this excessive caffeine intake or having caffeine close to bedtime and other stuff that mess up with your sleep quality, like booze or marijuana, nicotine, and then... All the good stuff, right? All the good stuff, they mess up with sleep, apparently. And then, uh, you know, sleeping habits. Mm -hmm. Like day naps and such? Yeah, like daytime naps. and like. So the recommendation is that you should use your bed for sleep and intimacy only. Reading, watching TV, radical sports should all be performed elsewhere. <laughs> Another useful tip is to get out of bed every day at the same time and with an alarm as opposed to what seems to happen to a lot of folks that lack daily structure. And people listening right now will be like, oh yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, like we all have patients that complain of insomnia, but they get out of bed only when they feel completely rested around 11 a.m., 12, and then, uh, anyways. Uh, so, you know, they linger in bed day after day and gradually the time for sleep onset gets delayed because you only can sleep so much. Right. So it seems that the patient's having initial insomnia, right? He's going to bed and cannot sleep when he goes to bed. But actually, the sleep cycle is sort of out of whack because if you wake up at 7 today and then tomorrow at 8 and then the next day you wake up at 9 and then the other day you wake up at 10 and then the other day... And the other thing is they have a problem to fall asleep. So they instead of getting out of bed and having a miserable day like whoever has a job does, some patients will say, well, I only fell asleep at 3 a.m. so I'm going to get out of bed at 10 or... 11. And then there's no chance that this guy is going to sleep at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. the next day, you know. He's going to keep pushing forward this the time for sleep on set. And what you do is this sort of a inverse... And you see that with kids playing video games and all kinds of things as well. <laughs> okay. Um, besides those things, do, do you have anything else? Um, if you... Um, all those things... You know, if you have reasons to suspect the patient has sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the risk factors would be the presence of diabetes, hypertension, obesity, snoring. Then you can, that's when you should order polysonography, you know, seems to be the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of a board question level. Another time to order is when insomnia seems to be a primary disorder, meaning not related to any other no psychiatric disorder. And, and in addition to that, refractory to treatment. That's also another moment where you should order a... Um, sleep study insomnia as a as a primary disorder you said yeah meaning meaning your insomnia is not dependent on 
another psychiatric disorder. You, you don't have major depressive disorder to justify the insomnia. You don't wow, have... So, so the insomnia is the disorder is itself? The insomnia can be the disorder itself. Oh, it's like a, it's like a mutation, like a virus that muta mutated, right? It was a symptom and then it mutated to a disorder. To a full disorder. Wow. <laughs> I like that. That's well, crazy. It can be a symptom and, and, and when it... Because you see, it's just like... We, we used to, and ha that happens at times, and we, we used to think catatonia was always related to some other disorder and, until someone said, oh, maybe not. Maybe you can have catatonia existing by itself. Mm -hmm. It's a sad comparison, but hey, insomnia may exist as a problem in isolation, not, not associated with low mood, mm -hmm. unless as a causative agent, because if you don't sleep very well, it's okay to feel miserable. Um, um, but insomnia can exist per se in a person that doesn't have major depressive disorder or doesn't have enough symptoms for the diagnosis or generalized anxiety disorder or anything like that. Right. But uh, back to the topic. Uh, so have, have you encountered uh, this, this kind of condition? Like primary insomnia? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's exasperating, yes. Oh, I imagine. Like <laughs> you just become a zombie after time without sleeping, right? It's very challenging because usually... You see, most people, it doesn't take too long for people to start taking stuff to try to sleep. Mm -hmm. And um, so as a result, when you find a case like that, you're really looking at all kinds of confounders, like all kinds of substances on top of it, medications that cause, that have tolerance, that have rebound, mm -hmm. insomnia, you know, addictive stuff. So it's uh, usually, and you don't, and then you have to go back in time and try to figure how did this thing start? Did this really start as a primary insomnia? Mm -hmm. Or there was other things going on, you know, like, oh, you know, I started having insomnia when I got divorced. And, and then what next? And then I started to drink. All right, then, you know. So it's, it's always very challenging. Mm -hmm. And um, since you uh, started speaking about addictive things, mm -hmm. uh, what about the meds? So Let's talk about the meds. All right. So, <laughs> all right, so I, I had a, recently a conversation um, with a colleague who's less fond of guidelines than I am, and uh, we recorded him actually. Uh, and can we say the name? Yeah, of course, Doctor Pataria. Yeah. Okay, there we go. So, so we ended up both agreeing with one each other. But, well, his point is this: guidelines are not always the smart, that smart, and you know, people involved in putting them together also are subjects to all kinds of biases. And it seems, and that is true, right? That is true, and also the research used to justify guidelines are frequently. You know, a lot of them were produced when the medication, for example, had um, still uh, was still an active patent. Mm -hmm. So, really, can we call these results reliable, considering that they were financed by the company? That and da, 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 right? so he 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 has a point. Um, my point was yes, but if we were following some guidelines a bit more, you know, looking to guidelines with a little bit more love and emphasizing that they can be useful we would not be seeing what we're seeing right now in the field, like, you know, like nonsensical medication combinations, polypharmacy, you know. And he agreed. He said, oh, yeah, makes sense, right? That, that you have a point. But then he had, a, you know, a comment on, uh, on my sort of a utilitarism <laughs> of, of the approach. But anyway, back to his point. I, I have here the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and their recommendations for sleep agents. Now, I put a lot of effort into reading those guidelines and comparing them, but um, I, I, with all honesty, I could not make a lot of sense of it. Uh, like what? So the article claims 
to review literature and make suggestions based on that. But there were a few things that I found a bit off. Mm. One of them was that the medication recommended on the top of the list, so to speak, is a brand new medication whose patent is still fresh, is the Suvoraxant. Mm-hmm. Now, the authors used two randomized controlled trials to justify its inclusion in their recommendation. And they said the evidence in favor of the medication was overall weak, like all of them were weak, because our medications for insomnia, all, all the evidence is weak, mm-hmm. um, which was nice of them to point that yeah. out. Um, but uh, all meds, you know, so, uh, but, but, but the curious thing is one of the authors of the review received grants from the company that makes that medication. Oh. So in the disclosure, they said that he was left out of the choice of including Suvorex. Like, sure, okay. okay. Then I went to check the two randomized controlled trials, and they, go, they both were financed or supported, if you will, by Merck, mm-hmm. like the pharmaceutical company. Like, one of the articles was written by Merck employees. So then I went to the second uh, recommended medication. The second recommended medication quoted six randomized controlled trials. I said, all right, let me find all these randomized controlled trials. And I did. And they were all sponsored by the pharma company that makes the thing. Mm -hmm. Then the scenario repeated itself for the third and fourth meds. But the fourth medication was Zolpidem, or was already off the original patent. You mean they, they have generic versions already? Yes. Yeah, so 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 the choice was made based on research made when the patent was active, but the decision to keep it, and not surprisingly, was the fourth recommended medication, right. maybe. Um, so that's what it is. But uh, in, after that, they recommended triazolam and temazepam that are benzodiazepines, and we already <laughs> covered our thoughts about it. They we have, spoke about and, and they wrote about it. They have rebound insomnia, habituation, physiological dependence at every other benzodiazepines out there. Um, but what really got me lost was that trazodone, an antidepressant, already available as generic and probably one of the most prescribed sleep agents out there, ended up as not recommended at all. And the claim was that they only found one study that passed the exclusion criteria of their meta-analysis. Um, and they claimed that despite the presence and conclusions of the study, because actually the study said, hey, Trezon kind of works. Mm-hmm. And the, the, they claimed, the authors claimed that the side effects like headaches and whatnot outweighed the benefits. Now, I read that one too. I went and I found the article. Pretty much the article is a comparison between Trazodon and Zolpidem. Done, done when Zolpidem was still under patent. Now, pay, pay attention with this. The article pretty much shows comparable response between those two regarding sleep, but concludes that Zolpidem is better. Now, Zolpidem had active patent. Trazodone didn't have anymore. Right. So basically, Zolpidem used Trazodone to say, you see, I work as well, mm-hmm. right? But it was better because of the side effect profile. Now, Zolpidem side effect profile. So the research was sponsored by the company that makes Zolpidem, all right. And so so I'm not even going to continue here and and cover the side effects of the Z drugs like Zopiclone and Zopidome because, you know, like, Jesus, we all, you can't claim those guys have a better side effect profile than Trezono, like Mm -hmm. cognitive side effects, walking and doing funny things when you're asleep and stuff like that. Another funny thing is that in the same year a meta-analysis was published, like an independent one, about Trazodon speaking wonders of it. Mm-hmm. 
and included all kinds of studies. That one included, uh-huh. you know, but a bunch of others that, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, blah, 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 they said, no, 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 those articles were not good enough for the analysis. This, this is the only one we found that met our criteria. And then um, also the other thing about the article is that the American Sleep Academy, the, the, the article sort of super quickly dismissed stuff like CBT for insomnia. Um, that pretty much covers behavioral stuff and sort of sleep hygiene, saying something like, well, people don't like to engage in it. Like, wow, well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> too bad, right? <laughs> what do you make of it? I don't know. I felt very lost. I checked the disclosure section and found that one of the four or five authors received grants from the pharmaceutical company that makes the top medication. And another one received grants from a company that makes an analog compound that Mm. wasn't like uh, Lamborexent. You know, it's like, I'm going to sell Italian cars, so I'm going to speak good things about Ferrari and Lamborghini kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't receive any grants from current makers of any medication listed there. It's just like a related compound kind of deal. Um, but um, but the, yeah, but the good thing is that the disclosure said that um, the, the guy that was actually working for the pharma company that makes silver accent was sort of a did not participate in some parts of the process of selection and um how do you handle insomnia in a clinical practice well i try to first handle it with a small prescription of reality you know i I started with sort of discussing the limitations of our biology when it comes to sleep under less than acceptable circumstances one problem that needs to be ruled out nowadays is you know you you can have a young adult or teenager presenting complaining of not sleeping at night Mm -hmm. but what is actually happening is the patient spending all night sort of online and sleeping through the day right in general you know if you get it out of bed around 10 a.m., you're going to have a hard time to sleep before midnight, as we saw before. Because there, uh, because there is only so much you can sleep during y- the nighttime, right? Exactly. And, and also a recommendation that I use frequently is to get out of bed every day at the same time and before you feel 100% rested as the first step to address the initial insomnia, right? Mm. So you kind of have one or two miserable days where you feel tired, don't take daytime naps. Um, one thing that we don't think too much about are... Um, emotional needs and this sounds a bit of a stretch but um, uh, it's so evident that I can't leave it out of this conversation Um, and you're not going to find it anywhere so don't quote it but there are some emotional needs that if not attended can uh, keep you awake one of them is a need for leisure and fun Mm -hmm. and uh, we are not used to see those things as actual needs I just have like a, a huge contingent of patients that will say, well, I'm not sleeping enough, but it's because I get a bad time and I, I haven't done anything for myself the whole day. And I heard that story a thousand times. And they go like, and I start watching a Netflix series or start playing something on my video game or something. And I just, I know I have to go to bed, but I need to attend that need and we do have a need for fun mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that is and the other one is need for um, intimacy you know and it's always complicated to talk about it but uh, you know how natural if you will from an evolutionary perspective if you don't want to just look to the evidence in front of your eyes how natural it is for an adult to sleep alone so in this field we are always faced 
and, and people listening to me will relate to it, we always face with all kinds of unrealistic expectations. Like someone who's trying to hold tight to a lifestyle that is unbearable and they come complaining of low mood. Mm -hmm. Someone who has been living without any sense of purpose wants to feel less anxious. Um, people don't want to tend to their emotional needs for, for example, intimacy. They don't work for it. They may struggle with insomnia. Now, if you take a look into research, you know, regarding sex or cuddling before sleep and the neurochemical correlate of that, which is an increasing production of oxytocin production, in, in, in increased production of oxytocin, you, you realize that maybe we have more needs than just food and shelter. I, I remember this case, there was this, this and I have an, an army of patients struggling with poor sleep, right? And, and I was always very realistic with what medications can do and the damage they can cause. But I had this case, and, and this girl had insomnia, and one day she comes and tried a few medications, and she says, well, I'm sleeping great. And I said, what? Right? And then she tells me, well, I found a boyfriend. And she found a boyfriend and started to laugh. <laughs> and I was like, of course. I always knew it, but we don't address it. We always knew that there's a relationship between cuddling, sex, sleep quality. There's a research that says that if you sleep with a t-shirt of someone you like, you sleep better. And that was from, I don't remember the name of this. It was a psychology, psychology journal that I was reading back in the day when we were doing the first stuff on on Instagram. And, um, but, but basically, that was so obvious and I realized how difficult it is to address those topics. Mm -hmm. and probably here in America. I didn't have any problems in Brazil. It's a cultural thing, maybe. I wonder why. <laughs> so, well, and then, um, fair. And then I went, I went to research this thing and I found a lot of stuff on, on cuddling sex and oxytocin. Because, you know, if you say oxytocin, then now you're allowed to talk about this damn thing as opposed to say, address your personal life, you know, try to find someone, you know, mm -hmm. kind of improve your game. I don't know. Um, but anyways... Um, and the other thing, of course, is my undying hopes that psychiatry is or will become something more than just efforts to patch people so they sort of can continue, you know, to live life with what anyone would call an unbearable existence as opposed to try to operate changes and find some meanings, you know, considering, considering what we know about change. That it is unavoidable. Yeah, we, we have this insane idea that life bears constancy. It does not. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that is constant. We change our body, brain, the looks, the world changes. But we reach some parts of our life and we go like, okay, this is good. Let's sit tight for 25 years and retire. <laughs> good luck with that. No, there's no, we're, no, we're not designed for this tranquility or stability. You know, attending to basic needs involves attending to the need for change also, for novelty. Mm -hmm. And a boring life may lead to depression, anxiety, insomnia, whatever. I see what you mean now. Like, take care of yourself as a first step, right? Yes, exactly. Like, attend to the needs that go beyond the obvious, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. I think I started to talk about it. The, what, the case? Oh, yeah, yeah, the case. But, I, yeah, the, the, the case. I described the case completely. So, yeah, yeah that's the story. Did. Yes. So, there's some uh, publications on the role of sex and cuddling on sleep quality. Is that it? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. There is, and there's, there's a fair amount of it, actually. But, uh, you know, it's not sex and cuddling. It's oxytocin and sleep. So then, right. you know, then you're good. So, so, so now you can't talk about it. Well, you know, I, you know, I worked in Brazil, so that gives me a branch, benchmark. I, I cannot imagine how much we miss of relevant information from our patients in this country because some topics are taboo, you know. Mm -hmm. 
uh, as a result of something, morality, political correctness, I don't know. And the patients lose a bit. Right, and it seems to be the case. But okay, so let's say someone is stuck or is still struggling with insomnia after all of that, right? Um, but, you know, then let's consider drugs, okay? Every, everything else we tried, let's consider drugs now. Uh, obviously, despite whatever that um, guideline says, I'll start with non-addictive meds, you know, that have no significant metabolic side mm -hmm. effects or long or long-term risks of dementia associated with it. AKA Seroquel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes, I would not start with Seroquel and I wouldn't start with Benadryl or Z drugs. Mm -hmm. First, first I would try low dose sedating antidepressants like Trazodone. And, you know, which was not recommended by that, um, but is widely used for insomnia with a fair degree of uh, response. I wouldn't say success. I want to say something humble here. But then it fails. Then I would go to mirtazapine. But now we're already talking about increasing appetite and such as side effects. But compared to antipsychotics, it's still um, benign. Those, you know, three steps failing, meaning, you know, sleep hygiene, uh, trazodone, mirtazapine, then I'm going to consider romeltion or possibly Z drugs. Of course, if the patient has a history of substance use disorder, then, you know, we already saw that there's a split if we should use those meds uh, or even if, if we should use meds with an, even, with an even remote potential for abuse or if we should completely avoid them, right? Mm -hmm. We spoke about that already and uh, like some people, some, it's divided. Um, and after all things failed, I would consider the top med, you know, listed on that guideline, uh, Suvorexant. But nowadays, the copay for that medication is pretty nasty, and some insurances don't even cover. So, mm -hmm. so there's that. Right. Could we also talk about your thoughts of um, unmet needs and its associations with insomnia? We could, I think, uh, yes, I think those are not fully formed. I'm trying to put them together a little bit more on a, on a talk about refractory symptoms because I think they fit better there. Mm -hmm. I know I'm trying to, I'm still trying to gather my thoughts basically to figure and see if I find something from psychology that goes beyond my exposure to psychology for, for years and stuff. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to... Because it involves a lot of values as well, uh -huh. and and I don't want to sound too pretentious, so we're going to postpone that for now. All right, this was a wrap for today. I would like to thank you, Dr. Nadi. And before we go, uh, always remembering our listeners that we do have more episodes for this podcast available at nepmi.org. Dr. Nadi, any final messages today? The usual, you know, we have been receiving feedback, some positive, some uh, new ideas for topics, and that's always very welcome. Uh, we have some interesting interviews coming up. Uh, stay tuned. All right, buddy. Thank you so much, and see you next week. See you then. This podcast was offered by nepmi.org.